Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. As a measure, manner of review, Jesus has taken some great pains to teach the disciples that suffering leads to glory. Ask any doctor. He or she will tell you the amount of time they had to suffer in study in order to get the doctor degree. It's just a truth of life. Suffering leads to glory. It's a truth of our spirituality. Well, the disciples weren't catching it. They were in need of a spiritual upgrade. And I pray that each one of you have been receiving your upgrade since you got saved. When you got saved, you were version 1.0. In your second year, I pray that you upgraded to a 2.0 Christian. And I pray for those of you that have been 30 years in Christ, you're a 30.0 version. An iPhone doesn't even have that yet. We're only to iPhone 14. I need to let you know something. I actually looked it up. Their upgrade. Are you ready? The new iPhone 14 is going to be yellow. Big announcement. Wow. Wow is right. But the truth of the matter is, do you remember the old iPhone? It had a button. Can you believe how clunky it was and how big it was? And then you had to find, you had to buy like a big old thing to put around it because it cost so much money you didn't want to drop and break it. I mean, do you remember how big it was? But now iPhone 14, it's even yellow with no button, nice and smooth and slender. It's gotten upgrade after upgrade and gotten better and better. Well, the truth of the matter is, it's the same with our faith. We need spiritual upgrades. Jesus even prayed. Listen to what Jesus prayed in the Chet version. Okay, listen. Jesus said in the New King James, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In the Chet versions, give them spiritual upgrades. Upgrade them, Lord, to a 2.0. Upgrade them to a 3.0. Sanctify them. Increase their faith. Make them better and better as believers. And let me define what a spiritual upgrade is. The more and more we look like Christ, understanding his way and living his way each and every day. So to give them this spiritual upgrade, Jesus knew they needed a little bit of encouragement. So what he chooses to do is give them a preview. Take a look, Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Assuredly, now some of you are going, wait a second, you taught this last week. But remember, last week I told you I was just going to touch it. But this week we're going to dig deep into it. So take a look. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I'm going to give you a preview. I love previews. In fact, it's my favorite part of going to the movie theater. I love the previews. Sometimes, I need to let you know about Andre and I's date night. We won't even pay for a movie. We'll go on to like Apple TV And we'll watch for free 15 previews. 
It's like watching 15 movies in one night. And I don't have the time to waste on two and a half hours of movie, but give me five minutes of a preview, I can watch 15 movies in just one night. Seriously, we do this all the time. And you know why? I'm cheap. (laughs) And they're good. Let me tell you, the previews are good. They give you the best scenes of the movie to intrigue you to return. And there's usually some kind of like James Earl Jones voice that's like talking to you so that they lead you from scene to... I wish I could do it. And I'm sorry for my voice. It squeaks. It like... Sometimes I feel like, have I gone through puberty yet? It's like, it's like one of those things. It's like... And I, did, and I actually said this at the last service and then I squeaked the whole service. I felt like it was God's way to keep me humble. And when it's over... And that preview is finished. They hope to leave you with one question. When is that movie coming out? And they let you linger there just a little bit long enough until all of a sudden they flash the date on the screen. Coming September 24 in that James Earl Jones voice. I love previews. I need to let you know something. Jesus invented The previews. He invented it. He gave Hollywood the idea. Because he is about to give them a preview of the truth that he's trying to get across. Let me tell you something about his preview. He's going to show the best scene of heaven, the glory of Jesus. That's what he's about to show. And God the Father, best voice in the universe is going to narrate for us and lead us from, to, from one scene to the next. And the disciples, after this preview is over, is going to be left with the question, when is this coming out? And Jesus is going to flash the answer right in front of them. Oh, I love previews, especially now that I know they're biblical. And I need you to remember, Jesus is giving this preview for a reason. They need a spiritual upgrade. They're not catching the fact that suffering leads to glory. They're not understanding the implication of what's happening. And so Jesus gives them the spiritual upgrade, gives them this preview to motivate and inspire their faith. Let's take a look at verse 2. Now, after six days, here's where the preview is about to happen. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Now, that's an important word. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can, can whiten them. Mark is struggling trying to figure out how to communicate how bright his garments were. If you're taking note, there's a few things that we're going to learn from this preview that will, I pray, give us a spiritual upgrade. Because that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples. It's the reason for this preview. And the first one, I want you to write it down. Spend time with faithful friends. Let me tell you something I told my kids. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. I want you to try to prove it wrong. Prove it wrong. Hang out with someone bad. See what happens. You're going to be led a wrong direction. You can't prove the Bible wrong. Bad company corrupts good morals. And what Jesus is encouraging in this uh, uh, scene is that he takes Peter, James, and John. He goes away with faithful friends. Now, I need to let you know this is not favoritism. 
He doesn't like Peter, James, and John more than the other other disciples. This is a matter of responsibility. Jesus knew that Peter, James, and John were going to lead the church. He knew that people were going to follow them and believe what they had to say. He had given them the gift of leadership. And so he takes them on the mountain because he knows the responsibility that they're going to have. Look at James. When Herod wanted to hurt the church in Acts chapter 12, he beheaded James. And if you want to hurt the church, you get rid of the leader. Peter and John are left. And now the church is following Peter and John. And Peter and John would both write, John in John chapter 1 and Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, we beheld his glory. They proved through the transfiguration that of the deity of Jesus Christ. We saw the glory. We're two eyewitnesses. In a Jewish religion, it takes two witnesses to prove a truth. And Peter and John both said they beheld the glory of God at the cost of their lives. Gang, faithful friends are important. You see, Jesus is setting an example that we need a spiritual network for growth. So he takes Peter, James, and John, three. That's an important number. Three is a number of accountability. Not everybody can know everything about you. But there are one to three people that need to know everything about you. There are one to three people that you need to be able to share your life with. There are one to three people that you need to be able to challenge you, that you can say anything, and they're not going to judge you or condemn, let me say, condemn you. They're going to actually lead you to Christ. Jesus is setting an example that we need to have three people around us that can hold us accountable. But Jesus also had 12 disciples, another part of our spiritual network. You see, that's a small group. And maybe you're part of one at women's life or men's life or student life. Maybe you're a part of a small group of people that meet on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, or a Thursday or a Friday night. Well, Thursday night you're here. Maybe Friday night or Saturday night. And maybe there's an opportunity for you to have a small group of people. And what a small group does is spur you to grow. You can ask the questions that you don't ask in church. You can ask the questions that you're a little embarrassed now because in front of a lot of people, but in front of a smaller group of people, and it helps you grow. But Jesus also sent 70. There were three, there were 12, but he sent 70. And this is a representation of the local church. He sent them to serve. The church is an opportunity not for you to sit in a pew, but to serve to serve in kid life, to serve in women's life, to serve on the greeters, to serve on the ushers, to help us with communion. Let me tell you something. The guys that serve communion are no holier than you. Trust me, because they'll even let me serve communion every once in a while. You see, the 70 are an example for us to be involved in a local church like you are so that you can serve. But then there were 500, 500 that were at the ascension, another part of our spiritual network where he gave direction, go and make disciples, 
go and preach the gospel. You see, we're part of the global church that are listening to the direction of Jesus and we are following through. It's important to surround ourselves with the network that Jesus set an example in. Now, I do want to warn you in something, though. Always keep Jesus as your most faithful friend. You see... We have a tendency to replace deity with humanity, and then we get disappointed. We have a tendency to expect humanity to be like deity, and then we get hurt. You see, Christianity is messy because we're all in different walks of faith. And someone may be in this walk of faith, and someone may be in this walk of faith, but the truth of the matter is all of our eyes are on Jesus. He's our most faithful friend. Now, let me tell you, faithful friends are great, but there is no one more faithful than Jesus Christ. He's proven his friendship. Let me express. Here's the truth. John 15, Jesus gave it so we know it's true. Listen, John 15, verse 13, the Bible says, greater love has no one than this. This is Jesus talking. So we know it's truth. Then to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus suffered and died on the cross for you. He suffered and died. He proved this statement to be true by dying on the cross. He laid down his life and he declares that when you choose to believe, you come into relation, Jesus is the best friend you can ever have. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never gossip about you. He will never hurt you. He will never slander your name. He will never turn on you. He's always seeking your best interest. Trust me, Jesus is our most faithful friend. Now, if you really believe that, you're going to stick close. And I want you to see what happens when you stick close to Jesus. Take a look. He was transfigured, verse 2, before them. And his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. He was transfigured. I need to express what that word means. We get the word metamorphosis from the word transfigured. We get the word metamorphosis. In other words, it means he was changed from the inside out. Let me explain it like this. The butterfly is only wearing the caterpillar skin for a season because the caterpillar is really a butterfly. You just can't see it yet. And what God does is he gives a preview of who he really is from the inside out. He is light. In him there is no darkness. The disciples got to see who Jesus really is. And look what happened to the closest thing next to him is clothes. His clothes were brightened. They reflected the glory of God. Do you see why the Apostle Paul says, put off the old man. Get rid of slander. Get rid of gossip. Get rid of unforgiveness. Get rid of resentfulness. He says, "Get put off the old man and put on like a garment the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the closer you become friends with Jesus, look what happened to his clothes. They reflected the glory of God. And the closer we get to Christ and choose to put him on and not put on the works of the flesh, the more that we're going to reflect the great glory of God. Have faithful friends. Number two, would you take a look? Mark chapter 9, verse 4. 
And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter had answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Number two, if you're taking note, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. If you want a spiritual upgrade, listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, gave us in James 1.19. Listen to the spiritual upgrade. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Jesus, he'd taken the way to provide a preview of the glory, a, a preview of the power of the kingdom of God. Take a look at this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what the Bible says about the kingdom. This should be true in your life. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What the Bible is saying is, it's not just a matter of you walking around saying, Jesus loves you, God bless you, Jesus loves you. It's a matter of you people experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit coming out of your life as you serve them, as you go the second mile, as you choose to turn the other cheek. There's a power attached to being in the kingdom. And they got to preview this. They got to see the power of Jesus' glory No wonder there's no need for a son in the heavenly kingdom. Jesus is light. They got to see the power of eternity. I mean, Moses and Elijah are there talking to him. It proves there's life after death. They got to see the power of his word. Take a look at what Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about. It's Luke chapter 9. You'll see it on the screen, verse 31. So Moses and Elijah, they appeared in glory, and they spoke of his decease, his suffering, his sacrifice, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Wow. Look at that small group. That's a power small group. And look at the Bible study. We're going to talk about how your suffering and your sacrifice is going to lead to glory. Like, this is a power moment. It's a power moment. Instead of listening, Peter starts speaking. How many of you have ever said something and it came out of your mouth and before you could stop it, it just came right out your mouth and you regret saying it? Anyone? Anyone? I want to see your hands. I'd like to be encouraged myself. Okay. How many... Like... Like your wife goes, do you like my dress? And before you know what you're saying, you say no, right? Or, or like, did you like dinner? Well, it was a little burnt. I mean, and you can just feel it coming out of your mouth and you want to do everything you can to. You just like wish there was a rewind button. How many have ever felt that before? Anyone on this side? Okay. Amen. Peter is about to do this, Okay. There's a reason why we have two ears and one mouth. We're to be listening twice as much as we are speaking. And there's something in all of us, because we've all made the Peter mistake. We've all said something we wish we would not have said. There's something about us that we want to help Peter be quiet. 
See, Peter, he's operating from his perspective, not God's truth. You see, Zechariah, we studied on Thursday, said that the only festival that we're going to celebrate in the new kingdom, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, is the Feast of Tabernacles. We studied this. And so, when Peter sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus, he's like, oh, this is the kingdom. He's operating from his perspective. He's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, it's happening, it's now. Let me set up a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. This is so cool. I can't wait to tell my friends I hung out with Moses and Elijah. He thinks the kingdom's happening now. But really, that's not the core of the problem. You see, in Luke chapter 9, verse 32 we discover in this story that Peter had fallen asleep. So he wakes up in the middle of this whole scene. He wakes up in this Bible study. And he doesn't know what to do, so he just starts speaking. Now, let me express, I'd fall asleep too. Now, let me just be honest. Take a look at this picture again. I showed it to you last week. This is Mount Hermon. You climb that and think you have a lot of energy. They got up onto this peak And it's on Mount Hermon that most theologians believe that Jesus was transfigured. He gets up and he's tired. So he passes out. And as he wakes up, just imagine, you see Moses, Elijah, Jesus shining like Casper the ghost. It's like, what in the world is going on? Hey, we got to build tabernacles. We got to build one for you. He doesn't know what to say. He's just talking, overcompensating for his mistake of falling asleep. I understand this. When I was 13 years old, I went to Korea, and I lived there for three months in Suncheon, just about six hours south of Seoul, Korea. And I built a church with a community and a a team member, and I lived with a Korean family, and I was 13 years old, lived there, went there, did everything. In fact, we just went to Koreatown um, this, for the first time since I've been in L.A. We just went to Koreatown um, this past Friday night, and man, I ate way too much kimchi. I, something <laughs> happened. And now I'm deciding, are chicharrones my favorite or is kimchi my favorite? Like, I, I think I just like food. So I was there at 13 years old. Well, after our trip, we went to Hong Kong. And the trip from Korea to Hong Kong, I was exhausted, 13 years old. But that day when we landed, there was a woman who came who was going to teach us how to smuggle Bibles into China. So I sat in the back. I passed right out. Passed right out. Didn't hear a word the woman said. Didn't have any idea what I was supposed to do the very next day as we were going to smuggle Bibles in China. I'm 13 years old. When I wake up, I'm so embarrassed. That was the best ever. I'm so glad I know how to smuggle Bibles now into China. I had no idea. But I was so embarrassed that I fell asleep. I just started talking to overcompensate so that no one would think that I would fall asleep. But everyone knew I was asleep. I mean, they'd all left me there, passed out. But then I started acting like I knew everything about smuggling Bibles into China until the next day. I show up with my bag of Bibles. I'm terrified. I have no idea what to do. I'm like, Lord, I lied to these people. I told them that I could know everything what I'm supposed to do, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, oh, God, have mercy. I'm going to go to jail. I'm 13 years old, and I'm going to be in a Chinese prison for bringing in Bibles to the country. I can't believe it. And I was just talking to God, and as I'm talking to God, I just walk right through the immigration and customs, and I just kept talking to God. I was the only bag that made it through. 
Now, I don't want you to commend that because that was purely the grace of God on my ignorance, okay? And I just was walking through like, Jesus, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I heard people call him a name, but I just kept going, I'm a dumb American. I'm just a dumb American. I'm just going to keep going. I learned a very important missions lesson. When they are whistling and calling your name, keep walking. That is missions 101. Keep walking. Keep walking. These boots are made. You know the song. What I find amazing is not only is Peter babbling, but he calls Jesus rabbi. Are you serious? You just, a chapter ago, called Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. You're going to give him a spiritual downgrade to be like the teachers of your day and call him rabbi? Sanctified guess, but I believe Peter's mad at Jesus. You see, Peter, Peter, he took Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, this whole suffering leads to glory thing, it's not going to look good on Instagram, so I don't want you to post it. It's not going to be a good logo for you. Suffering leads to glory. Like, no one's going to follow us. So I just think you need to back away from the whole suffering thing. Hey, disciples, gather around. Get behind me, Satan. Excuse you? <laughs> like, I brought you aside. Like, I didn't embarrass you. Why are you embarrassing me? Like, why are you pointing me out and calling me Satan? Like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm the leader of these disciples, and now you're making me look bad, and I tried to take you off into a corner and just let it be like a little private moment, Rabbi. See, Peter's upset. He didn't like that Jesus called him out publicly. You understand this. I know it to be true. Because when I say something that you don't like, you don't say hi to me when you're walking out. Hey! I'm just the messenger. That's all I am. Now, you may not like when Jesus says things like, forgive your enemy. You may not like when Jesus says things, forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. You may not like when he tells you to go the other mile or to just simply accept my good, pleasing, perfect will. Don't be mad at me like Peter was. Because I want you to see what happens. Take a look. Verse 7. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. Two weeks ago, I was landing in California. And there were clouds. I don't know if you know this. There are no clouds ever in California. Like, if there are some, it's like, poof, it's gone. I mean, it, it, there, and we were landing in a blanket of clouds, like big puffy clouds. I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was landing back home in the Bahamas. There's clouds all the time in the Bahamas. But I never see clouds here in California. And let me tell you why. God is pouring down rain on California. And sorry, but I don't care what our governor says that we're still in a drought. God's at work. God's at work because he's not just pouring out rain. He's pouring out his spirit, and God is going to do a supernatural work, and he's operating in the supernatural over California to let you know there is a God. There is a God. Now, that could be a sermon in and of itself, but stay with me. When I'm flying into the cloud, 
as a child, I used to tremble flying into a cloud. Let me tell you why. (laughs) Turbulence. Turbulence is in a cloud when it overshadows you. So I'm flying home and I see it all happening. A very green seven-year-old girl comes running to the bathroom and I just so happen to be sitting right in front of the bathroom. Her mother is running like this. I quickly grab the magazine next in the thing and I shield myself as I'm looking for the barf bag. And I am trying to help this mother and lo and behold... She blesses us. (laughs) I'm almost nauseous thinking about the moment. I hope you're there with me. Now listen, it was overwhelming because the cloud had overshadowed us. You see, Jesus is trying to get a point across to Peter, and he ain't getting it. So God comes in as the James Earl Jones of this preview, and he says to Peter, hear him. Because if God has to come into your life because you can't listen to me, if God has to come into your life because you can't just listen to what Jesus has to say, be careful of the cloud. That's why it's so great to follow James' advice. Be quick to hear. Listen to what Jesus... Even if you disagree, listen to what Jesus is telling you. Be slow to speak. Gain understanding of the truth before interjecting your opinion or your perspective. Slow to be angry. Don't get upset with Jesus and just walk out through the lobby. No, no, no. If there's something that you don't like, wrestle with Jesus. Don't be hard-hearted and so that God's got to come in and bring a little cloud-like turbulence because it'll upset your stomach. Trust me. Number three, Mark chapter 9, verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus. I ask you to circle that with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves. Stop there for just a moment. Number three, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I need you to think for a moment of their experience, okay? Here's their experience. They wake up and Jesus is shining. They're looking at two dead people who are talking to Jesus And they just entered the turbulence of the cloud. They're reeling. Their world is being rocked with this preview of glory. And then all of a sudden, it's only Jesus. That's the point. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says this. This is our memory verse this week. Hebrews chapter 12 Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each of us are ordained with a race. Just like Gannon was ordained for ministry, so are each of you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Each of us have been given a race to run. Each of us have a responsibility. We're his workmanship. We're not the fruit of our education. We're not the fruit of our family. 
If you are a believer, you've been born again. You're his workmanship, and he is molding and shaping you into the person that he is calling you to be. And Scripture is imploring us. Scripture is beseeching us to run our race and fix our eyes on the author, the one who started our race, and the finisher, the one who will finish our race with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever run a marathon. I have. Half marathon. Half. I got to the turnaround of the full marathon, and I thought half is good enough. So I just came back, right, right back, okay? God forgive me, but I did. So here's the deal. Around mile 12, I wanted to die. Seriously, I, I couldn't feel my legs anymore. And I had trained for this thing. But I had so much adrenaline and so much energy in the first five miles that mile 12, I didn't save any energy. So I'm, I'm like trying to just move my legs. Then I rounded the corner. And when I rounded the corner and I saw the finish line, something happened. I didn't feel my legs anymore. All of a sudden, I've got adrenaline because I see the end. That's why Jesus showed this preview. He was giving the disciples the end. He was showing them what the finish line is going to be. And when you see the finish line, it motivates. It inspires. Now, don't be so hard on the disciples. We've got the same preview, but just in real life. We saw Jesus die by faith. We saw Jesus rise from the dead by faith. We saw Jesus ascend into heaven. He's given us a preview of what heaven is going to be in his word to motivate us, to inspire us. This preview is for our spiritual upgrade so that we're motivated, we're inspired to become more and more like Jesus. And here's how you know that your eyes are fixed on Jesus. The Bible says in verse 9, he commanded them and they did it. Do you remember that verse? You know a friend by someone who lays down their life for you in John 15, 13? Take a look at the next verse. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Remember little Johnny? Remember Sally, Susie, Betty, Tamika? Like, I, I, whoever you grew up with. Your little friend that you always ran to, 10, 11 years old, and you played football or dolls. I don't know which one you did, okay? Imagine if you showed up to Johnny's house, and Johnny looked at you and said, today I will be your friend as long as you play everything that I want to do and just do what I want to do. If you were my friend, be like, Johnny, I'm out of here. You're playing with yourself today because friendship goes two ways. That's why we have a problem with this verse. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, you're my friends if you do what I tell you to do. That's what makes us angry. Well, I want to live my life. I, I, I like this. What do you mean I can't be your friend if I don't do what you tell me to do? I, I like what I do. But Jesus says, listen, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to show you I'm the best friend that you can have. Trust me. But you're going to have to do what I tell you to do. The way that you prove you're in friendship with Jesus is that you trust him 
that what he tells you to do is the best thing for your life. So if you're dating someone who's not saved, you're not doing the best thing for your life. If you're choosing not to be equally yoked and you think that marriage is going to work out, ask the United States divorce statistic. But church, listen to me. Oh, not a lot of people are going to be saying hi to me in the lobby. I felt it. Someone just goes, preach it. That's a Jesus statement, not a Chet. But in our culture, it's just not accepted. Because we accept everyone and anyone, and they can do anything they want, and truth is now relative, but that's not the truth. There is one truth, and Jesus communicates that truth to us. And the evidence of our friendship is that we do what he tells us to do. Number four, finally. Mark chapter 9, let's take a look at verse 10. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. So Jesus just goes, hey, don't say anything until I rise from the dead. And they're like, what is this whole rise from the dead thing? It's like, are you so hard-headed? And they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And so then he answered and he told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written? Now he asked them a question. How is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So he throws out another question that the scribes were debating about. But I say to you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as is written of him. Number four, if you're taking note, ask spiritual questions. When you don't get it or you feel hurt, or listen, you were the dog that got hit and you barked the loudest, listen. Ask spiritual questions. I used to tell my kids all the time, the dumbest question is the one not asked. The most spiritual thing you can do when you don't understand is to ask questions. And the disciples, they're struggling. Jesus go, don't say anything until I rise from the dead. Well, what does that mean? Now, you may not be struggling with that. You may not be struggling with the rising from the dead. You believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't have 2,000 years of church history. So they're wrestling with this whole doctrine of resurrection and rising from the dead. But I've got a question for you. What struggle of faith do you have? That's an important question. Because yours may not be rising from the dead. But yours might be sexual purity. Yours might be addiction. Yours might be going the wrong direction. And I'm not sure what your struggle of faith is, but we all understand. Okay, let me ask a question. Who has had a struggle of faith in their Christian walk and experience? Jesus just asked you to do something. No, no, keep your hands up. I want everyone to see. Jesus has asked you to do something. You just didn't catch it. You didn't understand. It's a common plight of all of us. And that's why it's so important that you see Jesus' response. He's not upset. He's not upset. They're struggling to understand faith, and Jesus isn't mad. He's not up there going, I can't believe it. When are you going to get it? That's not Jesus. It's not his style. No, he answers them. Because Jesus has already talked, already spoke to them. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep 
asking questions. Let me tell you one of the wisest things in the world. Proverbs chapter 25. It didn't come from me. It came from Solomon. Wise guy. Proverbs 25 verse 2. Look what the Bible says. Proverbs 25. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. God's a great father. He's a great father. And when my kids are two years old, I don't give them everything at two years old. I give them what they can handle at two years old. And at six years old, I give them what they can handle at six years old. And at 12 years old, I give them what they can handle at 12 years old. The truth of the matter is that God is a great father. And so he conceals things until we're ready to understand them. Imagine if he slapped us with every doctrine when we first got saved. Some of us would walk out of the door and we would need psychotropic medication just to handle the spiritual element. But what God does is, is that he gives us as a good father when we can handle it. So they ask him a question. They ask him, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Great question. You see, the scribes, in their ignorance... They're using Scripture to prove that Jesus is not the Christ. So they spread this question around. Elijah was supposed to come first, and he hasn't come first. We even asked John the Baptist. (laughs) We thought he was Elijah, and John the Baptist said no. John chapter 1, verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. This is John the Baptist responding to their questions. So He can't be the Messiah because Elijah hasn't come. You see, they're referring to a scripture in the Old Testament that's very true, but they misunderstood it. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. I send my messenger. He'll prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now take a look at Malachi chapter 4. We get to learn who the messenger is. Behold, I'll send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Understand, they're right. Elijah is to come before Christ returns. Even Jesus confirmed it. It's Matthew 17, 11. Take a look at this. Indeed, Elijah is coming, future tense, first and will restore all things. Knowing they're confused, he poses a question to the disciples to prove that the scribes are confused. He says, and let me ask you a question. How is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. You see, the scribes were also arguing over something else. In Isaiah, there's a suffering Messiah and there's a reigning Messiah. And they couldn't make an understanding. How can he suffer and be king of kings? How can he suffer and yet be so strong? How can he suffer and yet be reigning. We don't understand. There must be two messiahs. That was the fruit of their discussion. 
What they didn't understand is that Christ would come first and suffer, would be ascended, church age, and then he would return, not suffering, but he would return as the king of glory. But they're right. Elijah will come. Jesus even communicated it. In Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses on the southern steps. And most theologians believe it will be Elijah who has not died yet. He was caught up in a whirlwind. That it will be Elijah as one of the witnesses who will be communicating the truth of the gospel. See, the scribes are wrong. Jesus is pointing it out. But there's something else here that we need to see so important with this point. When the disciples asked this question, they were given a spiritual revelation. Elijah has come, Jesus says. He has come. Who's that? And the spiritual revelation is found in Matthew 17, verse 13. The Bible says in Matthew 17, 13, that they understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. He was the one. Luke 1 says that John the Baptist would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. John the Baptist was the Elijah to come, but they treated him falsely. They treated him and tormented him. They beheaded him. And while John, listen carefully, while John was in jail waiting to be beheaded, he sends a question. This is John, courageous John, who called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. This is courageous John who was there when Jesus was baptized and heard the voice of God. This is my beloved son. This is that John. He sends a question to Jesus. He's in the midst of his suffering. He's in the midst of his trial. He's in jail. That John sends a message to Jesus. Are you the one or not? And Jesus responds, I can't believe. He heard God's He heard James Earl Jones better than James Earl Jones. I can't. I mean, he was there. He baptized me. I can't believe John questioning while he's in jail. That wasn't Jesus. John asked a spiritual question, and Jesus said, Tell John, the blind can see and the lame can walk. He wasn't mad at John. He wasn't upset. He understands our humanity. He understands that when we are confused and we get a little angry with him and we can't understand what's going on, he understands questions. And let me tell you why. Because even when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to God, my God, my God, why? A question. Why have you forsaken me, church? Jesus is not bothered when we question him. He encourages us to ask him. The only dumb question is the one that's not asked. In fact, the most spiritual thing you can do when you don't understand is ask. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.